AI in Action is brought to you by Aulis International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Our host brings you the leading minds in AI, sharing their story, their success, and their advice. Focusing on fast-tracking you to the top, AI in Action cuts through the hype to help you kickstart your data science career. To listen to the latest AI in Action podcast, head over to www.aldus.com forward slash podcast, or subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the AI in Action podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Kelly. Uh, today I'm delighted to have on the show Olivia Lewis. Olivia is the head of data science at the Unbelievable Machine. Olivia, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. No, it's great to have you. Great to have you. Um, so Olivia, for our listeners who may not know too much about you, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into data science? Where have you come from? <laughs> I think I've come from the same background as a lot of data scientists probably have, um, which is research. Um, so before that, I actually came from physics. Um, I was involved in my bachelor thesis in theoretical particle physics. I figured out I can't really talk to people so much about that. I wasn't I can, very happy. I can see that. <laughs> I wasn't so happy about that. So I thought I'd do something very cool um, and theoretical, but something that people can actually talk and relate to, which is um, neuroscience. So I went into the field of theoretical neuroscience to understand the brain better. I thought it was a pretty cool topic. I was very interested in that. Um, I did theoretical neuroscience for my master's, and then I continued with a PhD where I then did also experiments myself, so I didn't want to only do modeling, but also understand the brain a bit more in its natural form, not just uh, in the modeling form. So I did a combination of modeling and data collection, which kind of brought me on the road of data science because of basically four years of my life during my PhD handled very messy biological data from the brain and um, yeah, I was basically set up then to become a data scientist, which I then did in, in several companies after okay. that. Uh, out of interest, what was the, the main reason you moved from academia and switched to industry? <laughs> several reasons. I think uh, one of the main ones is uh, the problem most scientists have is that it's not a very safe future in terms of jobs. Um, you have short contracts, the pay is not very good. Uh, you don't know where you'll be working in the future. So also for your personal life, it's not very nice yeah. long term. A lot um, of stuff by yourself. Yeah, that was a lot of stuff by yourself. That's true. A lot of uh, time in the dark basement <laughs> doing experiments, <laughs> which was also fun. Not always bad. Um, so that was definitely a, a big reason. Um, but I also fancied shorter projects. So not like a long uh, four year long project where you don't really know the outcome. I wanted to be closer to clients, closer to things that you come in contact in the real world with um, maybe something you can change where you say, hey, I built this, it's really cool. Um, so that's what I fancied. Um, and I wanted to have multiple projects in different industries and not focus only on one topic. So tell us then about how you joined the Unbelievable Machine and then, you know, a little bit of history about, about the company. So um, I've been in data science in several companies before I joined the Unbelievable Machine company. Um, but I wasn't very happy beforehand. I wanted to to have a company where I can work on completely different projects and different industries and not be an in-house data scientist for a certain company, always working on similar problems. Um, so that's what I found here. And um, also the context, because um, it's not only data science here, you also have data engineers and, and people working in operations. 
hosting data. Um, so really everything uh, surrounding data, not only data science um, is provided. So you have a, a big um, group of experts and you can learn a lot in uh, lots of related fields as well. So that was pretty cool for me. Okay, nice, nice. And so what, what are the products offerings from the Unbelievable Machine? So um, we started as, as a hosting service. So the, the biggest um, group of people That's here just came on... up on, on Google Maps. <laughs> they hit web hosting. Okay, yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah, so we have our own private cloud. So not everyone is happy to go to the, to the big ones and um, maybe want to have their data hosted in Europe. Um, so we do that. Um, that is the biggest business that we have. But we, on top of that, we offer data engineering and data science services. Um, so you can really, the idea is that you can go from idea to cable, we always say. So you can start with a crazy idea, which might be data science related, um, you know, uh, get that developed up to having a product and maybe have that integrated in having your data on the cloud. So really the whole solution from the front end to hosting data can be implemented within you know, our skills. And um, so we really take you by the hand and, um, and do the whole, the whole process basically. What sort of challenges do you face with like new customers? Because let's face it, their ideas can be quite crazy. Mm -hmm. They won't understand a lot of things like uh, data quality, mm -hmm. engineering data. They just mm -hmm. understand, oh, you can give us data science in six months and produce an ROI. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you get that message to them that it's not like yeah, that? That's actually <laughs> partly why I like it so much, because you have to be creative. Um, we are also consultants, so we're not only data scientists. Um, we work with the customer. Um, we, we usually start in form of workshops, depending on where the customer stands. So ideas, um, creations and ideation workshop or scoping of a certain problem if they already have one. Um, and then really, you know, go in an agile way. So we talk every day or once a week during the project. Um, so we really uh, stick close by and also help out um, in, in questions and how to, um, you know, how to collect data. Um, how do you deal with problems you, you, you face along the way? Yeah, I mean, look, chatting with business people can might not always be the, the easiest because they want to pretend they understand. I know mm -hmm. the feeling, that's me. <laughs> um, but but really, like it's it's about trying to show them or like, do, do you go in with the start to say we can give an MVP quick and easy and say this is what it might look like, but we can fine tune it and make it better? Usually it's never quick and easy. Um, I mean, we, we try to break it down to certain problem packages so you can start with a smaller one and hopefully do that uh, quick and easy and then move on from there. Um, but it's really a lot of it is also education. Um, you know, telling people what is possible with data science, um, what can be done with data um, and what cannot be done. Uh, so we're also quite frank here. So if, if something is not possible with the data that is available at the moment, we do say that. So we are very open in that and communicating that. So if someone asks for an autonomous driving vehicle, <laughs> it's going to go around the streets of Berlin. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it really depends and um, yeah we, we help people also collecting data um, or, or not, not collecting data as such but um, advising them how to and what is missing so we can maybe help later on along the road and then it's it's a process of giving the education does that change a company's ethos the way they deliver or the way they even think about how they're going to deliver products in the future yes 
Often, yeah. So uh, we have a big client, Evonik, which we um, do several things with. And um, here we really have a process where they learn a lot through us. We learn a lot through them and it really we work hand in hand. And it's, it's very interesting for both sides and, and we grow together. And it's a very yeah. cool process also for me to develop on. I didn't want to say help them become more data driven, but it's, it kind of went the way around of saying yeah. it. They have the right ideas. Pretty, but, um... pretty buzzword. <laughs> exactly. So one thing when we were speaking, I think it was only last week, you mentioned data quality is very important to what yes. you do here at The Unbelievable Machine. Mm -hmm. Why? I think um, the main thing is that we, we as data scientists spend about, I would say 70% or so of our time pre-processing data, filtering out things uh, that are simply not needed or that are wrong um, or, you know, even going back to the client say something is missing you know we need to tag data um, so the process before you can get to the fancy part what most people think is all data science is about is actually maybe 30 percent or so depending on data quality um, but if we could you know make sure that data quality has a certain standard always depending on the problem you want to solve we could save a lot of time and effort and um, work more on the cool part <laughs> cool oh look it's um definitely the way it's going there's actually a lot of companies coming through now who are creating out-of-the-box solutions that will label mm -hmm. your data mm -hmm. um so you guys have a big function data engineers data scientists mm -hmm. let's face it it's not the most attractive part of the job looking after data quality tagging them <laughs> how do yeah. you drive this in the business yeah, so it's often, you know, goes hand in hand with a lot of manual labor, you know, a lot of boring jobs like circling faces on pictures or, you know, things that people might have seen before. Um, it's not the most interesting to do. Um, what we do within the company is, is mainly education. We give talks also within the workshops. We, uh, you know, sensibilize people what needs to be done to have the right basis for the problem they want to solve. Um, and uh, that can then trigger in the future a change in behavior, how you collect data and what you save, because a lot of companies also save way too much data that is maybe not necessary for the problem they want to solve. So we're trying to, to educate and, and you know, um, let people know that you, you have to know the problem you want to solve first, if possible, and then collect data accordingly to make sure you can solve that problem. And often it's the other way around because it's a natural process, it grows over time, and um, people try to save as much as they can, they can save, but more data is not necessarily better. So that is the problem. Oh, finding what data? Again, but that's part of, of where it comes in from you. From you. So let's say you get a new customer, talking poor quality data, pretty <laughs> poor. They're saying, great, look, we want data science, but you know you've got to tackle the data first. Yeah. How do you approach this? So um, usually we start with asking um, for a sample, so for a representative sample um, of the data they have. Um, so we, we go into a scoping workshop to scope um, the idea that they have, and then we analyze the data that they give us beforehand to check, is it even possible to solve the problem that is at hand um, and give advice how to go about. Um, but there are lots of possibilities to still get to a solution um, and a very good solution, even if the data is not perfect. Okay. And you spoke about how you can use machine learning as well mm -hmm. to improve the overall data quality. So not necessarily to improve the data quality, but we can um, solve a problem that is a very uh, that is a standard problem for supervised machine learning, like predictive maintenance, for example, when you're trying to predict when a machine is about to break. 
um, we can tackle those problems also with unsupervised methods, for example. Okay. So there are options. It's not all lost. <laughs> <laughs> it's not if, but or maybe. It's, uh, yeah. So you've got choice. Exactly. So there are options even if the data is not perfect. There was something we, we spoke about as well. You, you gave me some examples of some of the applied data mm -hmm. science work that you're doing here. Mm -hmm. You mentioned active learning. Mm -hmm. um, what is what is active learning? It's not something that I've heard too much about. Yeah, actually, you don't find too much about it, especially in German. That's uh, quite a problem. Um, it's, a, it's a very cool way of um, basically um, when you have the problem, then we talked about labeling data earlier. So um, when you want to verify, um, basically find the ground truth of a, a set of data points, um, if that's very labor intensive, for example, if you have a doctor labeling tumors on, on an image or um, in the car industry, for example, that's where we uh, worked on. If, if you have a certain you know, um, way of how cars are driving, if you want to test an automatic brake scenario, for example, that takes at least several minutes to test. So if, if tests are very uh, labor intensive, that's what, when you want to use active learning. And we used it in the car industry, for example. Okay. Right, and so how, did, how was it set up? So um, the problem in the car industry that we faced was um, you had a, a car, let's say you sit in a car driving with a certain speed and then another car comes in in front of you on the same lane with a certain distance. That so happens. we <laughs> Just sometimes, <laughs> not very often, but it does happen, especially on the autobahn, it's very dangerous. Um, so in this case, we only had two parameters, which was your own speed and the distance to the car in front of you. And they tested um, whether your car would automatically brake or not and obviously that depends if the distance is huge to the car in front of you you would expect it not to break um, so you can already imagine from this little uh, story that there are a lot of combinations of speed and distance that don't do not even make sense to test because you would know it wouldn't break or you would know it would break um, so in order to not test through all combinations which is the normal way to go about this problem um, is to use active learning um, to start randomly with a certain test set and then um, the algorithm kicks in and basically the testing becomes more intelligent over time. So it sees, for example, okay, I'm not very sure about this data point because it braked like close to here and it didn't break the other time when it was close by. For example, if the speed was similar, one time it did break and another time didn't break. And then so when the algorithm isn't very sure, it says, why don't you test around here? I'm not sure around here. And then it starts testing around there. So it finds basically a borderline between the two areas of breaking and non-breaking. And it finds this border and starts testing closer and closer to that border and doesn't test in other areas where it's already sure it will break or it's sure it won't break. So you can save a lot of tests, which are very labor intensive that way. Wow, that's, uh, that's actually really cool. Yeah, it's a very cool mechanism. And you can do this even in like five dimensions. So we've done it when a car would, would um, go into a parking spot, which you had angles and lots of other parameters. Um, and we did it in 5D and it also worked really well. Okay, so when you were building the active learning uh, algorithm, uh, you know, what were the challenges that you would face? So um, one challenge was, um, uh, which actually um, when we gave talks later on on the topic, we were also asked usually about this which is quite interesting. Um, so when you imagine this, this division between a car braking or not braking, you have like a division line. That's a very specific line, but maybe you have islands somewhere where the speed is very high, where it should also brake. 
And if you start randomly sampling, you might miss an island like that. And you might then very quickly with the algorithm focus on this division line, but maybe there's another division line you didn't find somewhere else. So um, that was a problem that we faced. Um, and the solution um, for that was um, to also in between, not only smart sampling, but in between sometimes choosing a random sample to make sure that you also get maybe outliers that you missed otherwise. Um, that was one option. And the other option was to basically place a grid on all the options of samples that you have and make sure you had at least one or two uh, points that you tested within every uh, area of the grid so that you, you make sure you didn't miss a certain area of, um, you know, combination of velocity and, and um, distance, for example. Okay. So active learning, it also, in a way, it almost creates the KPIs that what you want to test. Yeah, exactly. So it basically gives you um, it reduces the amount of tests you have to do because it focuses on the ones that will be most valuable for you. Um, it gives you um, a parameter set that will tell you the most about your problem, basically. So you can focus on the important parts and the things that are not as important you can you can leave aside and you will still get the same amount of information in the end. Okay, no, that's really cool. Very, uh, very intelligent because it's one of the biggest uh, challenges when I'm doing podcasts or when I'm at my meetups People are always saying, how do I know what features to test? How do I know what KPIs to yeah. test? What's going to add the value? Exactly. Um, you know, it's it's really difficult to understand what's what's important for what you want Yeah, uh, a lot of the time. But I mean, that's where a lot of collaboration will come in with product. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, this goes in and it, and it does actually a, a lot of that, which is which is really cool. But if you imagine even a doctor um, uh, whose time is very valuable, um, labeling a, a tumor in an image and then you maybe say okay in another image I'm pretty sure this is a tumor and this one I'm not so sure about you can then focus on the ones that the algorithm is not so sure about and then only focus the time of the doctor on those ones and for the other ones you don't have to waste time yeah I think that's uh, that's something that I think is really going to change change a lot of things in the world because we don't have enough doctors um, <laughs> and we don't have enough time no we definitely <laughs> not you can't you can't build time as you mentioned as well earlier on that you are working with uh, Evonic. Yeah, exactly. Um, you're doing a chatbot for them. Yeah, that's one of the projects. So we okay. have uh, a wide range of projects with them, but that's uh, one of the cool projects we're doing with them. Yeah. What makes it so cool? What are you, <laughs> what are you doing? I think it's, it's really one of the cutting edge things that uh, everyone is on about at the moment. You know, um, talking to an AI, talking to a smart bot, um, uh, we have all, you know, the things at home, we have Alexa, Google Home, all those things. And, um, you know, companies want to use um, those options for their own good, you know, and, and um, optimizing certain workflows and um, being faster and, and more customer orientated. So, okay. And so what have you built for Evonik? So um, you can imagine it's, it's the area of, of um, you know, chemistry and, and specialized chemistry. Um, and if you talk to a normal bot, they won't understand the words that they might use. <laughs> I've done, I done a podcast with Bear and she mentioned a couple of things uh, that she could see my face drop. Um, <laughs> and she was like, don't worry, I'm not asking you about this. <laughs> she said she wouldn't even ask me to pronounce them. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, yeah. If Some of the words are very hard to pronounce and I'm always quite uh, interested how, how it will come out from the bot. So <laughs> that's a pretty cool part as well. No, so we, we, um, we basically developed an engine that can understand um, not only specialized words, but also the intent within a sentence. So that's 
um, was definitely one of the biggest challenges that we faced. Okay. So when you say the intent of a sentence, like I suppose, explain that full, give me more <laughs> about that challenge. Like, what does that mean? So I'm, not a, I'm, not a, I'm not a chemist. <laughs> Um, language is complicated. So if, if you if you saying long if, if you saying a long sentence, you mention a few um, chemical terms in there. Um, what do you want to do with it? Do you want to buy a product? Do you want to have more information on a specific product? Do you want to talk to a technical person to get more information about how to mix products? Um, are you in the lab and you might need information how much you should put in of that specific product? So there are lots of, you can say the same product name, but depending on the rest of the sentence, that really defines what you want to do with it. Do you just want to have simple information read by the bot so you can maybe use it in the lab? You don't want to take your, you know, your tools away or you, you want to continue working and you just want quick information or do you want more complex information? Okay. And how did you overcome this? <laughs> That's a bad question. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it wasn't easy and um, we're also still working on it and making it better over time. Um, we basically um, did a three-way approach, I would say. So we, we started saying, hey, let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's start with a speech-to-text engine that everyone can use and see how far we can get from there. It didn't get us very far. It, it got us the basics, but not uh, the specifics uh, in terms of chemistry. So we started collaborating with the startup and, and looking in, in that area um, because there's a lot developed at the moment in, in, in that direction, uh, which got us a step further then. And then uh, we also to finalize it, we had to do a lot ourselves. So we had to implement um, ways of training a model of, of um, you know, giving in sentences and telling it which intent was this or, or which word was mentioned here that was important. So it was basically a three-step process of using tools that are already out there, using tools that are in development and, and cutting edge and um, adding some of our own flavor and knowledge as well. Okay, cool. Look, that's a, that's a really, really good use of a chatbot. So look, we've actually got time for, for one more question. Mm -hmm. So what I want to ask you is what in research or in academia or breakthroughs coming from companies in AI and data science do you feel you're most excited about or will have a, one of the biggest impacts on their given industry? From research, I think a lot is in natural language processing. So I think that's definitely a field that will develop a lot in the near future. I think for German, that would be very interesting, <laughs> as you can imagine, very complicated. Um, but I think that will be a tool um, or direction that will be very helpful for us in the future. Um, but also image detection, we know we learn about GANs, so um, finding out how to deep fake um, images, you, you've probably seen uh, YouTube seen, videos and things about putting your face into <laughs> Star Wars movies or whatever, you know, there's uh, already lots of options out there and that can be very interesting and will be a very interesting question also how we handle that kind of um, data and if we cannot really distinguish between a deep fake or reality, um, how we deal with that also in society. That will be very interesting. Look, I, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, you're listening to the AI in Action podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Kelly. Today's guest was Olivia Lewis, who's the head of data science at The Unbelievable Machine. Olivia, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. AI in Action is brought to you by Aldus International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Aldus offer an exec search program. Aldus can help you discover how data science and AI can transform your company. 
With our unrivaled network of C-suite executives and senior AI professionals, we offer retained search services across the US and Europe. Get the Aldus advantage. Become a member of the Aldus community and enjoy some of the following. AI meetups. Once a month, our community gathers to listen to some of the leading experts in the world of data science and AI. Our speakers come from all over the world, including Dublin, Boston, and Frankfurt. We also have our AI mentors. Our experts will provide mentoring to all us members. And don't forget our AI in Action podcast. Each week we have guests from all over the world talking us through their education, career and more. Become an Aldous member and get the Aldous advantage. For more information and to sign up for our newsletter, log on to www.aldous.com. That's www.aldous.com. Aldous International, empowering through AI.